The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome. Coming to you from southwestern Michigan, this is Zach Hayes. On behalf of my co-host, Ben Palmer, giving you another episode of Shaggin' Flies. This week, we spent some time with Justin Choi, who is currently a contributor to Fangraphs, and who just finished his first year at Washington University in St. Louis. Great school. He joined us from his home in Seoul, South Korea, and we had a super fun conversation that took us through some of Justin's personal history. Uh, Ben was very interested in the fact that Justin had Houses of the Holy as his favorite Led Zeppelin album. We ranked Run the Jewels albums after that, and we talked about baseball too. We had some really interesting perspectives on baseball and what makes it great. Uh, We defended contact hitting. Uh, I did at least. We talked about Corey Seager and Matt Wieters and Gordon Beckham. Justin gave us some more cool KBO insights and a ton of other good stuff. So, without further ado, here is episode number 12 of Shag and Flies with Fangraph's Justin Choi. gotta be you yeah so congrats on finishing up at wash U. it was your first year am i do i have that right yeah nice so what do you do you know what you're studying at um not yet but probably some kind of applied math major very cool what are you Mm -hmm. hoping to do with that word word so how does that work you have to declare after um so usually it's uh we have to declare after our sophomore year so i still have time to decide um and i'm not sure if i'm going to you know work in a baseball front office or do something else but it's just kind of relevant to what i'm doing right now so that's why i'm pursuing it i think that's awesome that's uh that is a whole world of uh things i know literally nothing about like (laughs) that is just so beyond my comprehension but is I see God, I see so many people on our data science team at Pitcher List who do like some intense math stuff for me it's when I'm like writing nuts. articles and I'm just like, 
it's it's alchemy as far as i'm concerned like it's just i'll sit there and i'll be like uh i have this idea but i don't know how to measure it and they're like i got you and then they like spit out some numbers and i'm like the the rapidity the rapidity with which they get stuff out you put something in the channel and they're just like boom here you go it's it's mind-blowing so um Why are why wash you out of curiosity? Tell me how you ended up there of all places. So I was searching for colleges in my senior year of high school and then I kinda wanted to find like a balance between a school that was big but also had this kind of like liberal arts kind of curriculum. Hmm. Right. So I wanted like a cross between, I don't know, like Amherst and uh, hmm. UCLA. And Wash hmm. felt like a good middle ground. And I went there during the summer to kind of go on a tour and, you know, it seemed really nice, um, big campus, nice weather. And so, yeah, that was my first choice and I got in. So really happy about nice. that. Nice. Where'd you go to high school? Um, it's a high school in Korea, actually. It's called Korea mm-hmm. International School. So it's a school for, um, it's like prepping you for college in America, basically. Hmm. So it's like a prep school. Okay. Oh, interesting. That's interesting. like that's like the point is to prep you for college in America. Yeah, and also give you like a an American education in Korea. Hmm. Huh. That's really interesting. So have I, you have you yeah. been to the states much or at all? Oh, uh, I actually lived in New Jersey for six oh, years okay. when I was a kid. So. So you know yeah. what? This is this is a good time to like rewind a little bit. So where are you from originally? <laughs> so okay, so uh, a bit of long history, but I was born in Korea, right? Okay. And then when I was about, I'd say four or five, I moved to New Jersey because of my dad's work. And then okay, what's your dad do? Um, he worked for the government. So okay. I'm not sure like what his mission was, but you know, maybe he was an agent, but it's top secret. Um, yeah. Top yeah, secret. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. If you tell gotcha. us, you have to kill He's us. Doing, so. Yeah. CIA stuff. Yeah. I got you. Wink, wink. I got you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for some reason he ha- was assigned there. And so we lived there for six years. I went to school there, you know, I got uh, influenced by American culture and if that, then, and that includes baseball, you know, so um, what other oh, what yeah. other influences came over? Um, I guess like, hmm, like the sense of um, you know, I'm me, I'm myself, I'm an individual, you know, hmm. screw society. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. Is that not something that's like prevalent in Korea? Well, I mean, it's kind of a stereotype, yes, but it's true that in general, um, Korea is more. Um, they're more focused on the group instead of the oh, individual. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Sungmin, so we, had, I... we talked to Sungmin Kim a few weeks ago, and he said something to a similar effect, I think, towards um, towards the end of our talk. When, uh... Yeah, you are actually uh, the second person on this podcast <laughs> to uh, to talk to us from Seoul, which was which is funny. Uh, Sungmin is currently in Seoul. He was uh, he was on a few weeks ago, and he lives in Seoul. You are in Seoul, yeah. correct? I I don't want to. I think that, <laughs> I think that is right. Right. Yeah. 
I got that based off your 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 location on Twitter. So Oh, there we go. There, yeah. Which is <laughs> usually helpful. We asked some men what he liked about Soul and I don't remember what he said, but I'm very curious uh what you're a fan of about uh Soul. I, how long have you lived in Soul for? So you were I interrupted I interrupted your origin story, which is my bad. Uh you were in New Jersey for six years. You said six years, right? Yeah. And then did you move back to Korea? Yeah, so I came back to Seoul. Um, okay. and I've been living there since. Wow. Wow. Okay. So what is so what is it uh what is something in, about Seoul that you really that you really enjoy? Hmm. I guess the fact that um it's kind of like New York City where you don't have to go far to find a good restaurant or mm, um I bet a store or, you know, like some kind of fun place. So everything's kind of around you in proximity. So, um, yeah, and there's like tons to explore. You know, I've been living in Seoul for almost 10 years now, and I still have things to do there. So it's a big city. Yeah, it's... um. How big is it? It's got to be like... Is it like New York City big? I actually don't know. I'm pretty sure it's bigger. So bigger, I you know you're probably Seoul right. Isn't I, just, can, I can do that. I can look that up. What am I? I'm acting like we're not on computers or something. Like I've got, I don't have uh, access. Let's see. Let's see. How uh, big is Seoul? Almost ten million. We've got nine million seven hundred thirty-three thousand as of twenty twenty, wow. according to Wikipedia, which is sourced yeah. with um something that I can't read. Um, <laughs> that's big. It's a pretty big that's, spot. I wonder where the uh, most populated cities in the world. Uh, now I'm now I'm curious. This is this makes great radio as we're we like spend, Google we spend searching. a lot of time <laughs> we, we spend a lot of time talking about cities and shagging flies. It seems well he Sungmin told us that he there are there are six teams in the Seoul area, right? Oh wow. Yeah, that's oh, right. Six? I forgot about that. It's it, it's like it's like soccer teams in London, um something like that. Um yeah, so there's the, the exact number was. The Bears, right, and the twins. And then the Hume Heroes, and then oh, who am I missing? I'm pretty sure there's more. I'm just kind of confused because it, it's a um, it's a big metro area. Yeah, it's a very big metro area. So yeah, what? So, go go uh, ahead. Man. I was gonna say, uh, speaking of the KBO, are you uh, an avid KBO fan, or are you mostly just following um, American baseball? Yeah, I'm a big KBO fan. Um, I grew up a Bears fan. And right now I'm not. I'm trying to be more neutral when I'm covering the KBO because that's my job. But uh, yeah, that was my job. Deep in your heart, you're a Bears fan still. I'm just going to put that out there and say that uh, you're biased towards the Bears. I'm just going to put that out there. (laughs) Of course, you're going to the playoffs. You're going to win everything. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's um, so. So I. So we asked this to Sungman, and I'm very curious about your perspective on it. Um, what is something about the having having watched the KBO for for a while? What is something about the KBO that you kind of wish was in Major League Baseball in the United States? Like, what is there an aspect to the KBO that you're like, man, I wish MLB did this? Or like not even necessarily like a specific, like a a, a a rule or anything, but like a style of play or just a or something something about the KBO that is unique from MLB that you 
that you think is the KBO is better for it? You know, honestly, I'm a big um, baseball analyst guy, but I got to say, I love contact hitting. You know, it's hmm. fun when players put the ball in play and, you know, they run, run around the bases and um, and then the fielders try to scramble for the ball. You know, it's it's there's movement, you know, there's activity. And so that's really fun. And um, it helps that, you know, there was never really like a big sabermetric movement in, in the KBO. And so these players are still, still, they're still adopting this style that's um, this sort of like in between the 80s, 70s style of contact hitting and also some aspects of the modern game. And so, well, I was actually that nice that, in between. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of another, another thing that we asked Sungmin about is whether he thought that there was a little bit of sort of cross influence there, whether the American game was seeping into the KBO or, and vice versa a little bit. Um, do you are you seeing that? Do you kind of see that? Do you think um, the the American game is kind of influencing KBO right now? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, the Dinos won the Korean series last year, right? And part of that is because they were like, okay, let's copy the launch angle revolution thing. And so, um, like, even their nine hitter, I think, had around fifteen home runs. So, you know, it oh, worked. Wow. Yeah. And also, um, teams are shifting more often, um, especially the Hano Eagles. So um, they have a new manager, um, uh, Carlos Sabero. And he has that influence from MLB because he he used to be the Brewers' first base coach, I believe. And so oh, okay. he's been shifting a lot, especially against lefties. And it's been working. So, you know... It's yeah. kind of evidence to kind of the KBO old guard. And it's saying that, yeah, we don't have to change the game fundamentally, of course, but we can still have these um, modern MLB influences into KBO and they can they can be integrated um, in a natural way. And so that's been fun to watch. Yeah, you know, I kind of wondered if that, because I'm under the impression there's a fair number of former major league baseball players who are in the KBO, like Americans who come over and play in the KBO. And I, I would imagine there has to be a, an influence, you know, if they're coming from major league baseball organizations to like show up in the KBO and be like, well, this is what we did back in my team, you know, when I was on the Marlins or whatever. And I, yeah, I feel like that kind of has to end up happening. So I, I'm curious if, uh, if the KBO is going to look like Major League Baseball now in like a, a decade or two, it'll be interesting to see if it uh, if it sticks with like what it is now. Um, yeah, no, sorry, I, I had no, no other thought. Be, after it that. could be, no, it could be <laughs> informative of how we could better like integrate things like contact. Because I agree with you, like there's some elements of you know style of play, like you know contact hitting is just one example many where it's like there's something fun about it where you know maybe it's not necessarily going to give you the absolute most you know efficient win probabilities and run probabilities by a few percentage points but you know there's some entertainment value to be gained and lost there and i think that'd be interesting kind of case study in seeing how how the kind of new school of new schools of thought can be integrated into um integrated in such a way that kind of accommodates like enjoying particular styles of play rather than kind of steamrolls them. Just, I think, you know, I, I, I'm now I'm trying to think about it. If like, I really enjoy 
contact hitting in baseball. I love, you know, I love a well-executed single the other way. I just love to see like a pitcher, you guys, you know, a slider on the outside edge and a hitter just waits back on it. You know, Tim Anderson's there and he sits back and he waits just a half second extra. He flips his hands out and just pokes it, you know, solidly over the second baseman's head. That's a great, that's, you know, that's, that's yeah. not going to do much. It's not going to do much for your ex-Woba, but it's, I, I enjoy watching that, honestly. I think, like, no, good, no, I, good I, job, I, Tim. I, you, you beat the pitcher there. You know, he's going to get you yeah, out. You're, you're, you're right. There, there, there is some enjoyment to that. I just, I always hear people, you know, if anybody complains about modern Major League Baseball, they say oh, it's all home runs and strikeouts. Home runs are too high. Strikeouts are too high. Obviously, this year has been a bit different because, you know, it's like a suddenly a pitcher's league out of nowhere. It's like 1968 all of a sudden. But um, anyways, generally speaking, people have been like, oh, it's too many. It's home runs and strikeouts. And I'm like, you know, home runs and strikeouts are my two favorite parts of baseball. <laughs> like, like there is nothing more exciting than a home run to me like that's the best that's one of the best things and then for me personally i love seeing strikeouts like i just love watching a guy uh, uh from the pitcher perspective you know i don't you know watching a guy with is whatever but seeing a pitcher execute a nice pitch and getting a strikeout that i love that so i'm like if strikeouts and home runs are at massive highs that works for me <laughs> like I, that, I love that but i, I do i reason... do get it to an extent yeah yeah I think a reason why um, people hate strikeouts, and I thought about this, but it's kind of a, it's viewed as a, a failure, right? It's it's viewed mm, as an yeah. inability to hit. But if you look at it from like a more nerdy perspective, it's like a pitcher throwing a really nasty slider, right? Dude, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. So yeah, I think it's perspective. Part I of feel it. like I feel like also hitting is like harder than ever like harder than it's ever been now just because of the like level of technology that pitchers have the ability to like improve on their spin rates, their ability to like focus more on tunneling and things like that stuff that, that guys didn't have 20 years ago. So now all of a sudden, like, I mean, I just, I watched some of like the, the overlays that like Alex uh, fast puts together or, or uh, pitching ninja put together and you see, like, you know, a split change and a fastball coming down the exact same path and then at the last second going opposite directions. And I'm like, how does anybody hit ever? Like, how does anybody hit these baseballs, let alone that they're, like, coming in at, like, 95 miles an hour and, every, you know, everybody throws 100 now on top of that? So I feel like that's also probably contributing to the high strikeouts. It's like just hitting is super hard now, you know? <laughs> like, it just... Obviously, hitters have a lot of technology that they can use, and I think they and they do. But still, it's not just, as many as not as many of them as they should, though. No, you're probably yeah, you're probably right. I feel like I feel like there's probably a greater focus on using uh, advanced technology to improve your game among pitchers than there is among oh. hitters. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, that's definitely true. And I feel like it really should be embraced among hitters because we've seen so many examples of guys who are able to go beyond their expectations because of the work they put in, you know, changing their mechanics and stuff. Like, I mean, Mookie Betts is, I think, a great example of a guy who's like was supposed to be like this super fast, high average guy. And then, you know, suddenly found a whole ton of power, too, because of the work he did on his yeah. mechanics and stuff. So, you I talk don't know. to any yeah. 
you talk to any one of the driveline guys and they'll tell you that the fundamentals of, of hitting the biomechanics of hitting are pretty similar to those of pitching at the end of the day. They really, there's, there's nothing stop. I don't remember who it was. Several people have said this. There really is though, in theory, nothing stopping hitters from taking advantage of the, the exact same tools that those folks are using on, right. on the, on the exhibit. But yeah. Um, Justin, do you have any more thoughts? I feel like we got cut off for a sec there. Just want to make sure we're not uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Steve rolling there. Yeah, I don't know how often hitters use technology, but one thing I do see is that, um, you know, when you try to write an article about pitching, you have all these different numbers like spin rate and spin efficiency, uh, release extension, uh, release point, blah, 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 blah. But then, you know, you move on to hitting and it's like, I guess he's swinging less in the zone. <laughs> you know? Right. No, I, I, really I agree. That's the metric. Right. The it's like yeah. launch angle and then like exit velocity. And then you like compare the guy's stance last year to this year and see if maybe it changed. Like or like maybe. see if his swing like, is Maybe there's like a maybe. slight tweak in his elbow or something. Right. Right. I would, I agree. It's, it's a lot harder, I think, because you can look at a pitcher and be like, oh, he's changed his pitch mix. Oh, his curveball's got, you know, a lot more vertical drop on it than it did last year. I mean, just a whole host of things. He's changed his approach and he's got, you know, he's going more north south than he used to. Like just so many different things you can look at with a pitcher of, oh, why this is why he's good now. With a hitter, you're like, ah, he's hitter, it's just so much more hitting visual. it harder. Like, you well, got to yeah, watch I mean, a lot yeah. of swings to really to really yeah. see stuff and it's hard because like you can't you can't really trust like a side-by-side freeze frame because there's a lot of you know things there that are going on you can be in a yeah different ballpark, i, I a will different say angle. I, it's just one point in time it's 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 really yeah. hard unless you watch like you know a bunch of at-bats from year one and then a bunch of at-bats from year two to really be like oh okay i see he's you know doing this with his hands a little bit differently which means his swing plane is doing this which means he might hit these yeah. types of pitches better and stuff like that, which is just yeah, I, yeah. I feel like the small without. changes. I mean, there are things like you know, hitters use these things. This, I think it's called a uh, blast mode. They give you a lot of the same kind of data you can get on pitches on your swing, on your swing path, and what um, you know how essentially efficient your path to the ball is and stuff like that. But like that's obviously not available for us, yeah. And that's right. dependent on the individual hitter that wants to use that stuff still at this point. It's not like um, distributed like all this other stuff is. Yeah. I feel like I feel like the small tweaks are hard to find. It's the guys who like totally overhaul their swing. That's when you can kind of and even then, man, I mean, I've written so many articles about guys. God, I, I can think of a handful off the top of my head where I was like, Yeah, this guy's changed his swing, he's on a hot streak. You know, this is something to keep an eye on. It might work out. And then it just did not. Like, I think two years ago, I wrote uh, an article about like Freddie Galvis, man. And like, that didn't happen. <laughs> or like Danny Jansen. <laughs> All right. He changed things up. Let's nope. And then just nope. And and it's I mean, because we, of that. that like, ben Gamble oh, yeah. resembles Christian Yelich. <laughs> right right That's right cool. but like, we all have we all have know. articles many of those articles oh oh yeah yeah, yeah. but i that's mean the that's that's why <laughs> with all those hitter articles i'll always end them by being like we don't know like this is just it's like keep an eye yeah. on it you know, it's kind of like um how like you know when we try to go on a diet we're like okay i'm gonna lose like five five kilograms by the <laughs> and so we change our diet but then we kind of go back to our old style so maybe it's like the same for hitters right like mm-hmm. They want to change their approach, but then sure. it, it's hard to do that. You know, it's hard to do something different than what you've been doing for like five, 10 years. Right. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Look at you using the metric system. Uh, <laughs> all right. So you lived in New Jersey for six years. So how did you become a Dodgers fan? Good question. So I actually grew up a Mets fan. That's okay. my deep dark secret. <laughs> hey, they're okay right now. You don't have to be. Yeah, but be... like back in like 2007, 2008, it wasn't fair. Yeah, That's the fair. best. So. so I've had my share of pain, but uh, <laughs> I, mean, I became a Dodgers fan. Is this podcast as far as fandom goes? So I'm sorry. Continue. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean you're looking at an <laughs> Orioles fan and a White Sox fan, so yeah, we understand the pain. The like group therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyways, um I became a Dodger fan because of Hyunjin Ryu. So Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And just I was like, kinda... you know, I'm not into the Mets much anymore. I kinda kinda um you know, there's a distance when you move away from New Jersey and that area, right? And Dodger games are also easy to watch in Korea because they're in Pacific time. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. I never even really thought about that, but I bet those are a lot easier to watch. Yeah. And so I naturally, I just followed Ryu into um, LA and I became a fan of not just Ryu, but the entire team and like um, the players and the atmosphere. And so, yeah, I've been a fan ever since. I was going to say, and you've also, you've self-identified as a big, a big Corey Seager guy too. So uh, what do you, what do you like him in particular? Yeah, so like after becoming a Dodger fan in, you know, like 2013, he was the first kind of prospect that I actually followed his journey from the minors to the majors, right? And so there's that special kind of attachment to him and it makes you want to root for a player more. And so he's my favorite um, player, active player right now. And unfortunately, he's on the injured list because of a fractured hand, you know. So yeah, I I I didn't see that video, but I heard it was bad. Um, yeah, it's funny. You it's know, funny. I'm I bet me and think... Ben. I, I was going to say, I bet we could probably both remember who those guys were, and I bet you they didn't pan out as well as Corey Seager thinking... did. <laughs> oh no, not as well as Corey. I know exactly who the first uh, prospect that I followed from draft until uh, majors was, and that was Matt Weeders, because. Weeders, so like Weeders, as you may remember, was like the can't miss catching prospect. The next Mauer Johnny Bench, I mean, Mauer with power, you know, Matt Weeders facts was uh, the new Chuck Norris jokes. I mean, it was, God. it was a whole mess. was a time. <laughs> yeah. Matt Weeders got a home run on an infield pop-up, um, you know, <laughs> so, which actually I think didn't Billy Hamilton actually get in like inside the park home run on an infield pop-up. I think he did. anyways um so weeders i i distinctly remember i'm at my i'm uh i guess this yeah i was in high school and i remember being in the basement at my parents house and earlier that day there was like this drama about are the orioles going to offer weeders like enough money or something like that there was like a contract issue like signing his contract after they drafted him and there was just you know some dumb fight over money and I remember my dad being like, man, if they don't sign Weeders, then, you know, they're just showing they're not serious about the future of the Orioles and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And it was literally like five minutes to the deadline. It's like five minutes to midnight when they made the deal with Weeders. 
And like, I remember my dad like coming downstairs and be like, yeah, they got Weeders. They signed him. I was like, oh, cool. And it was like this big deal. Matt Weeders. We have Matt Weeders. This is incredible. And um, he, I mean, he won a couple gold gloves and was pretty solid. He was fine. He was was a four-time all-star. I was looking at his numbers earlier. He was was. a four-time all-star. There's a lot of guys who are, who have not been all-stars four times who are very, very good players. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And like career 20 war is not bad, you know? No, not at all. Yes. He, he was he he was very good at calling a game uh, for a while. He got really bad at it later, um, but uh, yeah, he was an incredible glove and a solid bat for for a good handful of years. So, but yeah, that was my first guy with the Orioles. That was the first guy like from when he got drafted through the majors. I was like, that's my guy. I'll um I'll Venmo either of you guys twenty dollars right now if you can name what current MLB left-hander was drafted. The pick after Matt Weeters, left-handed no cheating, pitcher, obviously. current, yeah. active, current left-handed pitcher in the big leagues. Man, I have no right idea. After, right after Weeters, are you going to give me the team that drafted him? Well, then I'm only going to Venmo you five dollars. <laughs> you don't have to Venmo me anything. <laughs> uh, Washington, Washington. Oh, was that was that Strasburg? Uh-uh, uh-uh. No, he's no, not a lefty. Was a little, little. Hmm. All right, this know. is great radio, so I'm going to tell you it's yeah, Ross Detweiler. Ross Detweiler was taken sixth oh. overall in the 2007 draft. Oh my god, dude! You look at some of those mid 2000s or just drafts in the 2000s and see who the Orioles always picked at the top five picks. It's really sad. Shout out over Matt and over again. Um, oh man, I, I was just thinking. Yeah. No, my my first prospect, like draft to the big leagues, was was Gordon Beckham. <laughs> uh, oh man, he was so supposed to be like hot stuff too. Wasn't I, if my shout out, shout out my cousin Tim, if he's listening to this right now, I, I don't think he is, but he he has evidence on me. I once told him when we were like fourteen. This is two thousand nine. Like you know, not even fourteen, like thirteen. After uh, right after we got called up and he was tearing the cover off the ball, he hit like you know three twenty with like five homers in his first few weeks, and he was like you know, and the Sox were making a playoff push, and he was like next big thing, and I was like, you know what? No, I don't think I'd trade him for Albert Pujols. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and he was like so the- <laughs> he was like sort of like the hype that like Dustin Ackley had in Seattle. If you remember that? Yeah, it was a little similar, and he was just not. I feel like it was sim- good. I mean. He's yeah. a nice, nice pregame show host now for the the White Sox because Jerry Reinsdorf loves loves his guys. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so anyways, aside from that, so Justin, how um, how did you eventually get into writing about baseball? You've been writing about baseball for how long? Um, like one in a half year to two years. Okay, so you've been you've been writing for a couple years now. How did you had you? I mean, obviously, you've always had sort of a long time interest in baseball. It sounds like. Um, how did you end up kind of finding that like writing about baseball was something you really wanted to do, and how did you kind of get into that and and end up getting some pieces published? You're at Fangraphs um, and other places that I'm blanking on right now. Prospects 365. Prospects 365. I knew that too. Oh my God. I am just, yeah, it's, it's late here. It's, it's nighttime here. (laughs) Um, But yeah. So how did you, how did you kind of figure out that like writing about baseball was the thing you wanted to do and then like find places to write about baseball? 
So fun story. I didn't know much about baseball analytics until like mid 2019. Um, okay. And the reason why I even started down that journey is because uh, Hyunjin Ryu was having this historic season, right? He had like a, a sub one ERA at the all-star break. I think it was, or maybe it was higher. Yeah, it was, not, he, it was, it was something like that. Yeah. He was. Killing yeah. It. And so, you know, as a fan, you become curious, like, why is he so dominant all of a sudden? And I don't know why, but before then, I never had this kind of curiosity to actually find out and dig the numbers. And so, you know, I just went on Reddit. I went on Twitter and I started, you know, reading what people wrote about baseball. And then I was like, you know, all right, what the hell is FIP? You know? <laughs> we all honestly, I, I was going to say, I still honestly, like, I know what it represents. I couldn't tell you how it works. Like, I could not give you the nitty gritty of FIP yeah. at all. It's based on run values, which I know now after studying about it. Um, so, yeah. So FIP led to you know, well, you got to learn what run values are, right? If you got to learn, if you want to understand FIP. So, so one thing led to the other. FIP led to run values, and then like run values, you know, led to WOBA, and then WOBA led to WAR, and you know, there's like this whole chain of baseball analytics that you follow right and then i also read moneyball and that was like you know it's an eye-opening experience for a lot of people and yeah it was cool because just the idea of using baseball numbers to find possibly underrated players you know it's like it's in a way it's sort of like justice for baseball it's Mm. um the lawyer who takes on this um, a person who people think is guilty but is actually innocent and tries to help them in a way, you know. Huh. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah, and so it's for baseball. It's um, trying to give new life to a player who might have previously been ignored because of this kind of traditional bias against him. Yeah, and so that led to. Um, you know, just me learning more about baseball stats. And um, eventually when I felt like I knew enough, I wanted to take a stab at baseball writing because I've always been a writer. So, you know, I've always done like creative writing, poetry, and a bit of journalism here and there. And so I was like, you know, why not also tackle baseball? You know, let's take it to the next step. And so in like... March of 2020, I set up my Twitter account and I was like, oh, okay, okay. I'm going to, you know, write baseball articles. I'm going to, um, you know, share my thoughts when the season begins. And then, of course, it didn't begin because of the pandemic. Oh, yeah. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. So early on, I was kind of set back. But then and I was like, you know, what am I going to do? But I just kept writing and I kept publishing, even though there was new, there was no new baseball and in fact, I think the fact that that there was no new baseball, I think it helped me um, not have the pressure of continually writing about new stuff that's happening. Um, I could practice first. And then, you mm-hmm. know, when mm-hmm. the actual season rolled around in July, I, I became more comfortable at writing. So, yeah, that's like my journey to baseball anal- analytics writing in a gist. 
So then how did you how did you end up uh getting some pieces at uh at Fangraphs at Prospects 365? Did you was it I mean just you pitched to them and they published it or how did how did you make that connection? So for Prospects 365, um that was during the height of the KBO in, in the States, mm-hmm. like May mm-hmm. of 2020. And Thanks to the KBO, I became in demand because I was one of the few people who actually lives in Korea but could also write in English about the KBO. Ah. Yeah. And so uh, Ray Butler, he reached out to me and he said, do you want to publish for my site? And so I was like, sure. And that's how that started. As for Fangraphs, um, they were hiring in January. and so, you know, I was like, there's no way that I'm getting in, but I wanted to give it a shot anyways. And so I sent some of my articles and then two months later, um, David Appleman was like, hey, do you want to do an interview? Huh? Uh, and I was like, oh, okay. So this is going somewhere, but yeah. I'm not sure if I'm going to get the gig, you know, but I just said what I wanted to say. It was kind of like rambly. So... <laughs> I wasn't that confident about my chances of getting the job, but then I got an email two weeks back, two weeks later, and and then he said, you know, hey, congrats, uh, we want to see more of your work at Fangraph. So, yeah, um, it's been like, you know, a dream come true to contribute there, and I've been happily writing ever since. That's wonderful. That's an extremely relatable timeline too. Um, I, to- I I would say probably the same thing about myself at Pitcherlist if it weren't for the delay of the season and like I got put out of work and all my classes were sent remote for the pan because of you know the shutdown last year and a lot of that spare time went into me being like okay let's just you know fart around and, and do some more of this stuff and uh, then I don't think I would have sent sent the email to to Nick Pollock that got me that got me there by the time the season started if it wasn't for that and that brings me to I wanted to ask you it's really funny because I just was reminded of this and uh, went back to check it was it was a year ago to the day if it is it is May 17th where you are where you emailed me on uh, May 17th 2020 about a piece I had written in the Fangraphs community blog about uh, Danny Santana asking how I got my, my graphs to look like the Fangraphs oh, graphs. That <laughs> was they you. really nice indeed, I guess. And I was, I was honored and touched that she had reached out and I was like, Oh, I didn't do that. But you know, <laughs> they, they did that. I just gave them the table uh, and look <laughs> at, and look at where you are now. That's look, look at us. That's, yeah. that's beautiful. That's so funny. Yeah, oh, I had no idea that was you. Um, that was before I joined Twitter. So, you know, yeah. I just saw this cool analysis of Danny Santana, who at first doesn't speaking seem that of, Speaking of hitters that we were completely wrong about. Yeah. Well, he had that like flash in the pan year. And that just, that was, that it was wasn't such a flash a weird in the pan. Year. What can I say? Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, yeah, I think you weren't alone. His ADP the next year was like pretty high <laughs> and he did nothing. So, I think a lot of people, yeah, yeah. But anyways, so we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit more about baseball in a little bit, but there is something I want to ask you. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this. Um, Zach brought up a tweet of yours to my attention 
uh, in which you listed some of your favorite albums. And I want to talk about some of these, some of these albums. You seem like you don't remember this tweet, but you did. You did. I do. Uh, I do. Okay. <laughs> like, I did. Um, and the first thing that stood out to me. So on this, you, you list a whole bunch of different albums that are some of your favorite albums of all time, I assume. And right. you list Led Zeppelin, which is great, but you list Houses of the Holy, which I assume that means Houses of the Holy is your favorite Zeppelin album. Would that be accurate? Yes. Which I think is a fascinating choice because really? you, oh yeah, you ask anybody on the street who like is a Zeppelin fan, what's your favorite Zeppelin album? Most of the time you're going to get one of the numbered albums. Yeah, the the four is the cliche answer because it's got stairway and rock and roll and going to California and all that stuff. Uh, And it's an incredible album. Don't let me you know, I'm not saying it's not. It's It's like incredible. Most popular choice. Oh, yeah. yeah. But that's like the the most popular choice. But even like personally, myself, uh, number one, Led Zeppelin one is my Mm -hmm. favorite Zeppelin album and one of my favorite albums ever. Uh, So. It's interesting, and I think some people might, you might even get a few people who really dig physical graffiti, but Houses of the Holy is an interesting choice. I like it. It's a great album. I I think among their discography, it's a bit underrated. There's a lot of great tunes on there that kind of get forgotten in the the canon of uh, of Zeppelin songs, but what is it about Houses of the Holy that like connects with you? I'm curious. Just the fact that it's not just straight hard rock, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's weird because unlike a lot of Led Zeppelin fans, um, I'm not as big as a fan of their their very straightforward sound, like on the first album, where it's just yeah, you know, rock and roll, it's blues rock, like blues rock. Yeah, I mean they, I mean yeah. they stole their songs from Willie Dixon. I mean, come on. <laughs> They stole one of their songs from Willie Dixon. <laughs> yeah, amongst so, several. <laughs> amongst a few, yeah. They were great. They are great. Two is my personal favorite, so, you know. Yeah, two is also really good. Two is a great uh, one. Yeah. I continue, sorry. It's probably two is my next favorite after um, Houses of the Holy, I'd say. Um, but as for my favorite, I think, you know, it's kind of difficult explaining why I like an album. It's just that I'm gravitated towards it. I guess the the psychedelic aspects of it, of the sound, um, made me think, okay, well, they're really good at this too. You know, they they can pull this off. Yeah, it's definitely got, it's, yeah, I I can definitely see that. It's definitely got um, a different sound. Once they, once they got out of the numbered albums, I feel like they got a little more experimental with their sound. Like Zeppelin one and two are for the most part, just straightforward blues rock uh, albums. And then Zeppelin three, they went very folky and and toyed around with a lot of that. Zeppelin four is like a mix of one and two and three, you know, a little bit of the folky, but a lot of the the blues rock. And then once they got beyond that, you get into like Houses of the Holy. Physical graffiti is way all over the place stylistically. Um, uh, you know, in through the outdoor presence is great. Um, and even when you get to Coda, like it, it goes a lot. To, it it's kind of all over the place, but. Yeah, Houses of the Holy has a lot more of a, I guess you could say, like a psychedelic kind of more experimental sound to it. And I think that's probably why it ends up not being people's favorites, because I think sometimes people don't really gravitate towards that. But 
great choice. I just wanted to say that's a great, that's a fantastic choice. Um, other albums on this list, so so ahead, I yeah. yeah. So the the speaking of of folks who do um, some weird different stuff. So you cited the entire discography of Run the Jewels as well. Um, so I wanted to put you on the spot and say rank rank the four run to jewels run the jewels album for me if you can or just pick a favorite you know uh, if you had to huh that's tough because I, lo- I love all of them so that's like mom or dad you know <laughs> um, <laughs> in this case there's several moms but you know um, yeah. <laughs> let's see so i'd say uh I just go with one was my favorite because that's one's like the also my favorite. favorite yeah. yeah. Um, and then it's a tie between two and three, I'd say. And then four, just because it hasn't grown on me that much yet. Mm. Um, I, yeah. I went to one, two, three more times than four. So I think that's just um, me not being like head over heels about it yet. But it might change later on. Who knows? What's yeah, your ranking, Zach? What's I okay? So I, I was I think about this a lot because I, I also I do love Run the Jewels. I feel like two is like the the one that gets is sort of like the the critical mass, like kind of what we were taught. What you were saying with with um with Zeppelin four is two is the one that's like at at the peak. I agree with you, Justin. One like kind of has just this. It's not nostalgia value because it's like not that old, but sort of like sometimes the original is just the best. You know, there's sometimes like a kind of vibe and chemistry that um with any group that it's an, it's a, it's a sound that you originally fell in love with. So that's always hard to, to break through. And you're not the first person who I've heard say that about four. And I feel like it just probably because it was released at like, and there was, there was life was still shut down for the most part. We were in the middle of um, a boatload of stuff going on. I don't remember when specifically it came out, but it was right around it when came it out in the summer. Yeah. So it was and like right, right around the George yeah, Floyd right. protests and rebellions yep. and all that stuff. Yep. And so I, I wonder if it just didn't kind of land as much because four, I think is easily my second favorite or close to my favorite with, with one. I thought it was really, yeah. really good. Even I was, though yeah. I have mixed feelings about killer Mike now, but you know, it was, uh, it, I thought, I thought four was actually really good. I was I was gonna say one four one four two three would be my order if I had to pick one. I think I liked three more than most people, but that might be like a time and place oh, thing for me. I I love three. I love all four of them. I think they're all great. Why do you have mixed feelings about Killer Mike? What did he do? I don't know. I don't know. About this. <laughs> oh no, he didn't yeah, do anything. He just know. took some. He took some. He took some positions that are not 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 extreme enough for my my extreme tastes. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Because you're a communist. Uh, yeah, pretty much. We know. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, Killer Mike is fine. Killer Mike is like not canceled or anything. You know. Like, uh, Zach hates Killer Mike. Is what he's saying. It's gonna be the um, title. Also, of the podcast right speaking here. speaking of hip hop albums, so I I also came across. I think it was an, uh, yeah, a tweet from earlier this year, uh, or last year. I mean, when MF Doom died, that you appear that you seem to be a big MF Doom fan, which. If so, is yeah. awesome because I I love. If you them. like MF Doom, then I Dude, like you. So. MF Doom is great. <laughs> I I bought more MF Doom records than I should have after he died. Uh, <laughs> well, I got I ended up um, I got M Food. I got this really nice repress of M Food, and then uh, I ended up also getting Mad Villainy, and I, I don't remember if I got another. I think I got another one. I don't remember, but anyways. 
Doom is incredible. Do you have a favorite uh, Doom record? Um, I mean, it's kind of cliche, but Mad Villainy. It's so good, know. though. Yeah, and I mean, the it's, story yeah. behind that for me is that you know, I used to play drums, and I still occasionally do. And hmm. when I did play drums, um, and I even thought about doing it as professionally, as a job at some point. When I was a teenager, so like it was like a big pipe dream, but whatever. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And so back then, I was only into like rock and metal, and I was like, oh, hip hop is just, you know, not complex. It's simplistic. Yeah. In terms of rhythm and and melody, and I was kind of that kind of snob, you know. But then, Mad Villainy was one of the rhythm, like the sorry, one of the albums that helped me realize that. Hip hop can also be very rhythmically um, dense and complex, and you know how um, there's that really great interaction between kind of like jazzy beats of the album and also um, his flow, and yeah. they create these like like these dissonances between what's going on in the background and what's going on with his voice and his cadence, and so that just blew my mind away when I was when I was a teenager. Was that was that was that was that the album that like introduced you into hip hop, like got you into it? No, no, it was one of them, but not the main I, one. I what was what the main was, one? No, what was the main one? What was the main one? Yeah. That was um, TPAB. Oh, nice. Okay. All right, nice. So in, nice. Oh, interesting. So um, you listened to that before Good Kid, Mad City, in that case. Yeah. Hmm. hmm. Interesting. I'm curious yeah, how I, that affects like your outlook funny. on both albums because that's kind of like a, I don't want to say like it engenders hot takes, but I feel, feel like people have pretty strong opinions over over which one which one they like more. Oh, uh, I mean, it's for me, it's pretty obviously um, TPAB. Maybe because that's my that was my gateway to hip hop. So, <clears throat> oh, excuse me, I'm kind of biased uh, of towards it. But I just think you know, combining the social commentary, the the sound of it, and also Kendrick's lyrics, it's it's you know like the perfect album. Almost. Well, and then you've also got you've got Kamasi Washington, and I think Thundercat was on. It's there Thundercat. Too, Thundercat. Yeah, is anything that anything that Thundercat oh, touches. I mean, Thundercat's amazing, cool. and and mm-hmm. then yeah, you've got Kamasi Washington doing a lot of jazz stuff on there too, and he's incredible. And it's just it's a phenomenal album, but that's you know it's funny. I distinctly remember when Good Kid, Mad City came out. Like I I remember like just the music world like losing its mind. And I wasn't super into hip hop yet, so I was like, "All right, I guess I'll give it a listen." And but man, I just remember there was like a whole—it was like the whole year. Everyone was just like, "This good Kid, Mad City album is incredible." And now, I mean, I love it, but at the time, I wasn't crazy into it. But it's funny. So it's funny hearing you say, Justin, how your at what your attitude towards hip hop was because I had the exact same attitude. I was a total. I was a total like dad rocker in high school. I was just like, no good music came out after 1990, you know, or just a whole, I mean, it's the stupidest thing. And, and I used to be like, so like hip hop sucks, whatever. And then the album that changed my, this is, it's gonna, this is gonna sound so stupid. The album that got me into hip hop was the gray album, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with the gray album, the gray album, the gray album is danger mouse. The uh, music mashing producer, up, mashing up the Beatles white album and Jay Z's black album. A friend of mine, oh. uh, it was like the thing that 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 
gave like made Danger Mouse famous. It was like his first thing, and he just kind of like put it out there. And I don't even think it's on Spotify or something. I just found it somewhere. And a friend of mine was just like, "Hey, man, you got to give this a listen." I'm like, well, I love the Beatles, so let's see what <laughs> happens. And I listened to it, and I loved it. And I was just like, "Oh God, this is really good." So then, I really got into the Black Album, <laughs> and and. I was like, well, I guess I like hip hop now. So I loved the gray album. Then I went into the black album and then I started like diving into Jay-Z stuff. And that's, you know, then I was like, all right, well now I need to listen to all the hip hop classics. And I started listening to like, you know, that's when I found the chronic and that's when I found, you know, Eminem's first album and all this stuff. And I just dove right in from there, but it was the gray album that helped me cross the bridge from, <laughs> from my, from my dad rockerness into into hip-hop <laughs> it's but, interesting how um, yeah. so when you started your hip-hop journey you kind of went backwards first for me yeah. it's interesting because i kind of lingered in the present because of kendrick lamar and then i went back to the past to like the chronic or um you know like wu-tang yeah yeah and, and I, then i yeah. went back to the future so it's a weird timeline for me. Yeah, it was. I, I think what happened was whenever I explore a genre, I'm like, okay, what are the classics? So I Google like, you know, greatest hip hop albums of all time. And everyone, you know, they always list the can. There's like a canon of every genre, basically. And so like, you know, when you're looking that up, it's, you know, it's the chronic, it's Illmatic, it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, De La, uh, three, feet, three Feet High and Rising. It's... Uh, you know, tribes first couple out midnight marauders, you know, public enemy stuff. So, so that's kind of like where I went from there. And then I started finding like newer hip hop and, uh, just completely fell in love with it. But anyways, I, as, uh, Zach can attest, I can talk music forever, but the last music question I want to ask about this list of albums, uh, Unless you had something, Zach, you seem like no, 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 no. I was yeah. gonna, that, I wanted to get to that question. <laughs> you wanted to ask that, yeah. So you, uh, so I love the call out on your list of Sly and the Family Stone, of uh, I believe it was I just closed the the tweet, but there's a riot going on. Is that what you had on there? Yeah, yeah. It's a great, great funk album. What? How did you get introduced to into uh to that? Um. I mean, I've always been a, f a fan of like funk records, like, you know, and as a drummer, I think at first it was all about James Brown because um, his funky drummer. Had, yeah, it's a, always had the best, um, I guess, like grooves that you could kind of copy and implement into your own style. And so, you know, I just kind of went down the, the funk um, music road and then I ended up at um, There's a Riot Going On. And what I appreciated about that is it's a funk album in its core, but the attitude it has, it's almost like a punk rock album. It's very political, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. I never thought about yeah. it like that, but yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, and also, um, you know, it just has, um, you know, great songs, great in instrumentation, Um and it has that sort of edge that separates us from other punk albums. Like, not, not punk albums, but funk <laughs> albums. Right, yeah, right. That's separated from punk albums. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so. That's yeah, good. no. That's good. Also, yeah, James it's, Brown, uh, shout out to Clyde Stubblefield, the, one of the greatest drummers and most underappreciated drummers for the guy for James Brown. One hey, of the most underappreciated drummers ever. 
Yeah, if y'all are into that, you gotta you gotta look up uh, this show. One of my good friends here in Chicago, Stuart Romeo, was doing. Um, he's an actor, and he was doing work with this troupe called the Black Ensemble Theater, and they put on a show. Uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was the summer of 19 called can't fake the funk. And it was just like, a, you know, it was a musical journey through like the history of funk music. And I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. Maybe I'll drop a link in the notes. Awesome. But it's, it's inc- yeah. I saw it. I saw it twice. It's incredible. That sounds um, so cool. But anyways, so, yes, let's, let's talk. We're going to talk a little bit more about baseball and um, the core question that we always ask everybody on this podcast is why do you love baseball? What is it about the sport of baseball? There's a lot of sports out there that you could be a fan of, but you love baseball. What is it about baseball that separates it from other sports out there? Why is it that you love baseball? Hmm, Tough question. Um, That's what we do here on Shag and Flares. We ask the hard questions. Yeah, uh, I'd say just like the little idiosyncrasies about it, about how, um, you know, just the fact that you throw from a mound, this tiny little ball, which you manipulate by holding it a different way and you change how it moves. And then there is a, a guy in a an imaginary defined box almost that has a, has a wooden stick and he tries to hit it. <laughs> out of the ballpark and you know it's, it's it's weird you know and if you try to explain it to someone who's never been exposed to baseball before you know he or she would probably be, be asking a lot of questions about it and even if you know a lot about the game we still ask questions about it right like what makes a pitcher effective really and so the fact that it's a very unique game and also that there's so much to ask and explore about it i think those two aspects are the biggest reasons why i love baseball so much if I had to give an answer, that's that's a great answer. I mm. I love that, and I I have a feeling you probably feel similarly about pitching to to the way I do because it continues to amaze me, always and forever, that people are able to manipulate this little ball to do crazy things in the air, like magic, like to throw this ball and you can make it drop backwards arm side or like do this big looping curveball, or you throw it, you know, 98 miles an hour and it, you know, zips in as a two seamer or something. Just the fact that a human being can take this, like this little baseball and do all that just by holding it differently and, you know, twisting their arm as they throw it and all this stuff. It's just, it never stops being mind blowing to me. I just, it's always incredible. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, you know, the fun part is that we still haven't s- stopped innovating, right? We still have new ways of not only th- throwing the baseball, but also optimizing how we throw it, you know. Um, you know, like for the past hundred years, throwing a fastball high up was not a, a great idea by a lot of people. Like people thought that you had to locate down and in, for example. But as it turns out, because. Not Ted Williams. As I recall, really? Ted William Ted Williams believed the high and end fastball was the toughest pitch to hit in baseball. Yeah, that's what I'd getting... always heard. That's what I'd always heard. I I don't know if that's one hundred percent true, but I'd always heard the high end fastball, according to Ted Williams, was the toughest pitch to hit. Yeah, he was ahead of his time for sure. Oh yeah, the hitting too. 
Oh yeah, yeah. way ahead of his time. Yeah, Ted Williams was like emphasizing launch angle and the uppercut. <laughs> yeah, no, it was the art of yeah. hitting. And um, I was always told that it was like he was actually he. And this is stuff that like you know I heard from like family when I was growing up about you know it's all Same. it's all apocryphal and uh, yeah. like Ted Williams wasn't actually wasn't an effective manager because he couldn't relate well to players like he didn't he couldn't understand why they couldn't just like do what he, some things the way he did <laughs> which i think also kind of speaks to some of the same issues we have today where it's like um communication and the lack of conduits to use the buzzword is is kind of uh the issue in a lot of you know organizations and uh just around baseball in general is getting folks to buy into not hitting singles yeah um, and using the right yeah. language to be able to do that and relate to players and say, this is, you know, actually how, why this oh, is. Oh yeah. Know, I mean, that's, that. that's one of the, I feel like the biggest issues is, uh, in getting players to buy into analytics is having that liaison. Who's like a former player who serves as a, as the in-between between the front office, you know, the analytics department and the players. So that the players don't sit there and be like, you know, well, you've never played the game. You don't know what you're talking about. You're just coming up with like numbers, you know, and I feel like that is super important to have that liaison who's sort of like, no, like I've played the game. I get what you're saying, but, you know, this is a good thing for you to do. But. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on still with baseball, though, um, do you have a favorite ballpark? in the United States or um, Korea? Yeah, I haven't been to a lot of American ballparks because it's mostly been New Jersey and then not New Jersey, right? So <laughs> not a lot of, of, of experience. So where have you state, been? But, hmm? Sorry. What, what, uh, sorry, what parks have you been to in the U.S.? Oh, I've been to Yankee Stadium and then um, both the old Mets Stadium and the new one. Um, and also Dodgers, Dodgers Stadium once. I've been there. And then for American ballparks. Oh, and also, um, uh, what's the St. Louis Cardinals? Bush, Bush, Stadium. Bush Stadium. Right. And so other than the Dodger Stadium, Cardinals, Mets, and then Yankees, I haven't really been anywhere else. So, oh, I mean, that's more baseball stadiums than I've been to. I've oh, been really? to, oh, yeah, I've been to Camden Yards. I went to, Na- I've been to Nationals Park because, you know, obviously DC's close. And then I went to, um, it was the Sky Dome at the time, but the Rogers Center up in Toronto. And that's it for Major League Ballparks. I've never, I haven't been to any others. I Well, when I was uh, like a baby, I apparently went to Cleveland to see a, uh, a Cleveland game, but I don't remember. I was like three. I don't remember it. But um, yeah, so that, that's, I've only ever been to like three ballparks. So you've got me beat. <laughs> So have you been to any, do you go to a lot of, I guess, pre-pandemic, were you going to a lot of uh, KBO games? Um, Maybe like two or three times a year, Mm -hmm. I'd say, to usually a Bears game. Mm -hmm. Is there something about, we already talked about like playing style and stuff like that, but is there something about like the ballpark or the ballpark experience that's different in KBO stadiums or in Korea that... um, is just different or that you wish we had here in American ballparks? Definitely the cheering. And I'm pretty sure he mentioned that too. Right. Yeah. Sung, Sung Min mentioned um, this, this quote from a, an American fan 
of KBO uh, baseball, uh, who said that who likened um, what was it? He likened the KBO to a rock concert and Major League Baseball to like what was it like uh, opera? Uh, I think he opera said. opera. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> stuffy. Yeah, like yeah. In America, you kind of just sit back down and spectate. Yeah. Right. You're just like, hmm, this is what's going on. I see. <laughs> and oh yes, baseball. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's and more the like KBO, the you know, And in the KBO, it's it's almost like a gladiator fight at times, <laughs> where you're like, strike this guy out, you know, kill him. You know. Yeah. You know, it sounds like the KBO is almost like an American football game, like the way yeah. people get like super hyped up and like just wild about. NFL or college football, depending on where you are in the country. Um, it sounds like that's kind of what KBO is, which that would be super fun if Major League Baseball yeah. was like that. <laughs> I'm kind of curious how um, sports evolved in the States over time so that the NFL is more of like this very uh, active, um, cheering spectator sport, whereas Major League Baseball is more uh, relaxed. I guess it has to do with the fact that um, – in the 1920s, when you went to a baseball game, you wore like a suit. Yeah, I know. So maybe that has to do with, right? Well, I would say uh, some of it probably is the nature of the game itself. Mm. Like baseball itself is a slow game. Like right. it's a very laid back game. Whereas while while football, it can be slow. It often is because, you know, you have short bursts of action. When there is action, it's people like slamming into each other. It's a very, it's very violent and very like, you know, stereotypically masculine, like men smashing heads, you know, that kind of a thing. And so I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if that plays a part. Um, I think there's just also probably, and I, I haven't done any reading on this, but it would be interesting to read about it. I feel like there's just, you know, football, American football got more ingrained in American culture, especially over the past 30 or 40 years than baseball did. I mean, baseball was America's pastime, but still. Yeah, to that point, there's like, I, I think season length has a lot to do with it. Like you have 80, a yeah. team has 81 home games mm-hmm. in a baseball season as opposed to eight for or sometimes nine, I guess now for um, yeah in, in an NFL season. And there's, you know, all of the cultural differences that go with the like, you know, NFL is a made for TV sport because there's so fewer, so many fewer games. It's like, it's an event. It's a once a week thing. And, yeah. you know, you only yeah. get eight of them a year. And because of there's the whole kind of the, the, the masculine culture that goes with it, it's like, you know, tailgating, all that is, yeah. uh, goes into it just being much more intense and aggressive. And, but I think there's also something about football and basketball and hockey too, where the action is nonstop for the most part, except for timeouts. So you kind of have to be like locked in, not locked in, but like you have to be paying attention to, to figure out what's going on in most times, which is not the case in baseball, baseball, you can stop paying attention right. for five minutes and like, you'll miss, you know, very, very little. And then Bradford actually said this last week, which I really liked. I think it's kind of a good, good medium meeting with what, with what you just said is how baseball kind of can be both where it can be like a, uh, just sit back and relax and put your feet up and have a conversation in, in the bleachers, you know, uh, on one day, but then like you, you go to a different game or in a different situation and you can have a, you know, a roaring crowd of 40, 5,000 for, you know, an intense Sunday night game and still get that same kind of, um, I I do wish we had more of what we're a lot more of what we're talking about 
in a KBO here. Yeah, too. Though, I, so. Yeah, I think I think you get more of that intensity in playoff games, mm-hmm. which uh, which is great, mm-hmm. and that's that makes them super exciting. But yeah, I I I would agree with all of that. I think that's a lot. Um, in fact, even football, I don't even think there really is constant action in football. I think it's more intense action, but it's really like. Mm-hmm. If you add up the amount of time that there's actual football being played, it's like nothing in a game. It's like 15 minutes or something, right? Right, right, because it's just all these short little bursts. Whereas like basketball, it really is just constant action. And that's the the atmosphere of an NBA game is totally different from baseball and football because it's like a party. It's like there's music playing. Right, everyone's (laughs) just drunk and loud. But at an NBA game, there's like music playing all the time, like constantly. It's just, it's like a big party. And I think that's a blast. Yeah, it's also I love going to NBA. Closer. Yeah. Yes. Right. Oh, I mean, yeah. If you have yeah. a lot of money, you're like literally on the court. <laughs> I mean, you're way closer to the action. But even large arenas, you know, I always only ever got the cheap seats to see Wizards games. Um, and boy, were those seats cheap. Hey, hey, uh, <laughs> catch me. I'm a, I'm a Chicago Sky season ticket holder. I'm about to be up close and personal in there. there Small stadium. Yeah. 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 So it is, it is like constantly happening. So, but I, I would be curious. I, I'm sure there's probably multiple books out there on like how I could recommend a few. Oh, well, yeah, mm-hmm. please do. Um, but anyways, let's, uh, so when we talked with Sung Min, he mentioned, uh, something about KBO ballparks that sounded incredible, <laughs> oh, which yeah. was there was a heavy emphasis on like uh, smoked meat uh, at the one that oh. specific, I guess it was at the one ballpark he was talking about, which I, I would I don't remember which team it was, but we would we but the I'm leading this into do you have a favorite ballpark food? Now, this can be like a stereotypical ballpark food or, you know, if there's something like at the KBO stadiums that you're like that, you know, this place is like the best, whatever. Uh, Yeah. What's your favorite ballpark food? Honestly, nothing beats Korean fried chicken that's next to the ballpark. Um, And so there's like a whole food culture around the ballpark where you have these incredible um you know, like chicken places and hamburger places and all these great um, restaurants near the ballpark. And you can just kind of pick them up from there and then and then go and see the game, you know. Oh, so you're allowed to bring outside food into the ballpark? Yeah, that's uh, a thing. So there's like a, a mutual relationship between oh. um, the KBO and then the, the shopkeepers near side. And so, um, but, you know, often you also actually buy the food inside the ballpark but i prefer to to explore outside and try to find a new place to buy food from i think that's that's like 20 percent of the fun of going to a ballpark is doing that so man um, that's the imagine what would happen if teams just like worked with the community right like oh yeah, shocking God. concept you know, I I would love it if you know. Now I think about it, I but, distinctly remember bringing outside food into Camden Yards for a while. I don't think you can anymore. But like, it's I something that clear- it, it, this is something that owners did. I'm sorry to interrupt, as I always do. But no, this no, no, is something good, that owners good. did intentionally when they built new ballparks. Um, when they got new ballparks built built after the 90s, Jerry Reinsdorf was actually a pioneer of this in Chicago, where uh, they would get cities 
to pass ordinances banning peddling and banning uh, sales and banning like outside food into into these premises, so they would basically hold a monopoly on on buying food. This was mm-hmm. a very con- very conscious effort to like exclude you know everybody but the um yeah. You know, this so is you have to pay twenty five dollars for a burger and fries or whatever. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. But but that's yeah. the kind of thing though that makes the the kind of the culture a little bit different though. It sounds like um with going to a game and what that that experience might be like. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I gotta. I get man. A part of me just wants to go to a KBO game for the food. <laughs> Between from what I yes. from what yeah. I have heard, it sounds incredible. Like just, it sounds amazing. But anyways, anyhow, um, I guess we can go one more baseball question before yeah. we move yeah. into the into the random stuff. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Who just out of curiosity? Who are some of your your other? favorite fellow baseball writers and analysts and stuff shout out anybody you want you know whose work whose work do you like reading um probably mike yehero oh my god there it is there it is he has been mentioned on this podcast so many times Uh, (laughs) we missed it last week too he didn't he didn't make an appearance last week he's he's back it's so funny yeah. that you say it. Um, and and I should I should say like Mikey's fantastic. He's a fantastic writer and a wonderful, delightful human being. Uh it is just so funny to me that it's like the seventh time he's come up on this podcast. That's so funny. Uh, but, great recommendation. <laughs> yeah, great recommendation. Mikey's wonderful. And the dude pumps out articles in a in a way that I cannot fathom. I I I never know, like I, I, I never know what to write about. I have the worst time figuring out what to write about. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, once I figure it out, I can, I can pump out an article quick. But man, it takes me forever to figure out what I'm going to write about because, like, I always feel like every everything's already been written. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> if there's, like, you know, if you want to, you want to, you know, do a deep dive on a single player who's like really hot. Well, if he's really hot, then there's probably already been like eight articles on him because everyone yeah. wants to know, should I add this guy? And so it just, and so then I'm, I started thinking like, Oh, I'll do this like really big broad piece. And then it just, I, everything gets lost. And it's, so I admire how, how quickly and how uh, well uh, Mikey pumps out articles. It's, it's impressive stuff. Um, yeah. He's, he's great. And you know, yeah, it's been a challenge for me writing about f- for fan because I'm, obligated to do to do it twice per week yeah so tell so so talk a little bit about that so how do you figure out what what you're going to write about like because that is i and i and i'm 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 using this podcast for my own selfish needs right now because i want to write more i enjoy writing but i i just i often have trouble figuring out what to write about because i i almost feel like so lately it feels like, you know, I, I don't want to write about anything unless it's this like massive research piece, which I think those have a lot of value. I, you know, I did one a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, when is it safe to start streaming pictures? Like, you know, when do certain stats start stabilizing through the year? But like those kinds of big, broad ones, those things are a huge undertaking and they're, they're difficult and not something you can write twice a week. So <laughs> 
So how do you how do you figure out what you're going to write about twice a week when you're under that kind of a deadline? Yeah, and like you mentioned, it's difficult to, for example, you want to analyze why a hitter is hot, um, and the answer is usually pretty obvious. It's like, right, he's hitting all hard, you know, and I can't write a thousand <laughs> words about that. Right, exactly. So, um, usually, my philosophy is tries to find something that's like weird or kind of like an outlier and explain why that's happening. So, for example, I wrote about Adrian Hauser the past week mm, mm. and how we had you know, hurdles, by the way. Yeah, it was weird. So he had a he tied his career high in strikeouts with 10, but he also threw a sinker like 75% of the time, which is just what? Yeah. <laughs> and so that's something he's that always he's always had like an incredible sinker, hasn't he? I feel like I've always seen him at the top of the charts. He has no command. Like he has sinker no quality. Command. Yeah, the command is an issue, but during that game against the Marlins, he was perfect. Um, and so it was like part analysis, part me marveling about how great that game was. And so um, I think, you know, beyond being able to do more analysis, writing about these weird outlier-ish events is is also it's more fun to, to write about instead of just being like, oh, his hard hit rate went up by this much. His exit velocity went down by this much. You know, you're not just listing numbers. You're. Yeah telling a story in the process so that's yeah been a way yeah. i've been writing that's that's actually i think that's great advice because i have found many times i'll start writing an article and i feel like i'm just citing numbers yeah where i'm just like i'm just like hey you didn't feel like going onto his fan graphs page but i did <laughs> and here's what i found and like that's the article and it just feels it feels lame, you know, a lot of the times. I but but man, when you find something, like when you find a player and you find some changes that he made or something like that, and like you keep doing more research and you're like, oh, this is this this is different too, and this is cool. That's the juice, man. That's like that's like gets exciting. You're like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, man, when I was doing I uh right around Christmas time, I posted an article about like um the uh you know how we're thinking about we're thinking about breaking balls wrong that was the title of the article it was all about like you know the traditional philosophy on breaking balls and how like it's not necessarily true and uh and how you don't necessarily need to get a first pitch strike and all this stuff and when i was doing that research i was just like man i I was you know searching something on savant i'm like man i really hope it comes up this way and it did i was just like oh my god this is amazing. And then you do another one. I'm like, it's oh another. man, this would be really good for the article if it comes up this way. And it does. And you're like, oh my God. And it's just, it's the most exciting thing. Like, I, I love that. But I love that advice. That's great. Find the weird, mm-hmm. odd angle. I like that. <laughs> That's something I'll have to keep in mind because I definitely, like I said, I want to write more, but it's tricky. Um, so now <laughs> let's move on past baseball. Forget baseball. Who cares? We don't need baseball. <laughs> We're going to move to the random strange stuff of the podcast. The first thing we're going to ask this is horribly phrased. I write. I don't talk. Um, <laughs> the first thing we're going to ask is the order of operations trifecta. There are three things we are going to ask you in which order you do those three things. The very first thing we are going to ask is 
when you get dressed, do you put on socks or pants first? Hmm. Pants. That is. That's the majority. In, that is in line with the majority. However, we have had a handful of people say socks. Tally one up. I'm confused because wait, if you have socks on first, doesn't it make it harder for you to put pants on because your socks get in the way of the pants? I would agree with you. However, some people I have heard describe socks <laughs> as like lubricant for the pants. It slides them on easily. I disagree. I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of socks you're wearing. It's also like, it's a gendered thing too, though, where if you're, if you're wearing clothes designed for women that are usually tighter fitting, it can sometimes like with certain, like with leggings and other kinds of pants can make sense to put your socks on first rather than like have to roll it up and, you know, right. All that stuff. Um, that's going to be an interesting thing to keep track of with the with these numbers. I'm running analytics. I'm running order one of day. operations trifecta analytics after one after day. We get one a, day when we'll the sample this. size, when we have an appropriate sample size, we hit the stabilization rate. Then I'll start <laughs> I'll start churning out the numbers. I don't know I don't know what episode that's going to be. We'll have to That'll talk to fun. talk to Fenko to figure that out. But uh, <laughs> um, next fun. one, next one. Okay, so if you eat cereal and if you eat it with milk, which one comes first? Cereal, because I'm a normal person. <laughs> no shame. Yeah. If you want to pour milk, then yeah, that's fine. But you know, you know what's oh, funny? Why not so cereal? Why not? one day I'll have to try it. Like I, so I don't. I I eat dry cereal. I don't put milk in my cereal at all. But oh. I, uh, <laughs> so I know, this is what weird. we're talking about: atrocities here. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm weird. I pour. I'm I'm I've joking. I've no no no. I, it's okay. <laughs> I have mentioned. You could just shame me all you want, Zach. Um, I have mentioned this on the podcast before that my my wife thinks I'm very strange because I pour dry cereal into a bowl and eat it with a spoon, uh, but with not but without milk. Um, which I acknowledge is weird, but whatever. I think it uh, really depends on the cereal. To be to be fair, it's usually special yeah. K. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know it's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. It's, it's, fine. it's fine. It's fine. Um, but my uh, kids eat cereal almost every morning, so I have to try it one time and like pour the milk first, see if it like freaks them out. They'll be like, "Oh, what is this? No, I don't want this cereal." But see if like maybe who knows maybe I'll pour the milk first. It'll be like oh my god, this if, totally if, makes sense. It'll be like if this I TikTok, I would I'd make a TikTok of it. <laughs> if that was the thing that I did, but it's not. <laughs> we're not we're not young anyway. You're young. You're a child. Um, I'm not young <laughs> so it's anymore. Nice, you're it's like nice not being the baby here anymore. <laughs> you're like you're like what thirteen? Um, yeah, I'm actually eight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was talking to Zach, not not you. <laughs> no, so I mean, if I'm 13, then <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. So, Actually, right. hold, wait. How old are you, Justin? Now I'm curious. Uh, are you I'm younger 20. than Zach? You're what? I'm 20. You're 20? Yeah. Jesus. Man's man's just finished his uh, his first year at Wash U. He's uh. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. What I the just... hell? What the hell were we doing after our freshman year of college? Not I, I was having <laughs> I was having a baby. <laughs> that was my my son was born uh at the end of my freshman year of college yeah. so yeah that was my freshman year uh <laughs> anyways you're doing, good, <laughs> last, yeah, you're, last you're doing great you're doing great the last, <laughs> last the, one. The last one to make it the trifecta when you brush your teeth toothpaste or water first in what order does that come um i don't put on water when i'm brushing my teeth 
Oh my god, you raw dog it? Oh, what are you nuts? <laughs> I mean, okay, talk, talk, talk. Okay. So I don't know if it's false or not, but I've seen research that shows that putting on water um with the toothpaste, it kills some of the chemicals in it. And apparently it doesn't help you um clean your teeth as much. It might be bogus. Like I don't know, but I've been doing that since I was like a kid so it's become a habit to not put on water so you just put toothpaste it. directly on the toothbrush so, brush your teeth but, done yeah the and real important question is what kind of toothpaste do you use then because that can be i feel like a real some are very dry and <clears throat> like chalky and some are a little more um, chalky i've never had gelatinous. Chalky hey, like some like chalky not chalky but like kind of i don't know oh, like arthur okay, like I, arm I, and hammer like you know baking soda type person <laughs> Wait, um, just like the, the teeth of toothpaste. <laughs> no, say, like sorry, say it again. Like the like standard Colgate type toothpaste. So yeah, not too dry. It's manageable. And you just threw me with the idea of like baking soda style toothpaste. I don't know what kind of. I feel like that's what you're supposed to do if like you don't have toothpaste, right? If like I don't know, use like... baking soda. I think so. I could be. Maybe I mean, I'm just making that up. Maybe I, I don't know. That sounds like a viral TV show. I said, I said, me this um, I said Colgate, not Colgate. No, no, no. no, no I was no, talking no. about baking soda. Zach was, was talking like, about using <laughs> oh, okay. baking I'm, soda. Yeah. Colgate <laughs> baking soda, not the snow. That, that sounds like okay. some. That sounds like that some weird. Be, like we, we can. Your explanation was like was I think good enough for for um for our. You get a pass. We're not going to. You get a pass as the first one. Yeah, the broadcast doesn't end right now. Baking soda might have been a step too far though. That definitely sounds like some weird Great Depression stuff or something like, like you Chicago. I, it was, I think it was Chicago like a survival. It was like a survival TV show. I mean, wow, shots fired. Yeah, we've we've talked about the Chicago hot dog and how it was a, a Great Depression desperation move that somehow stuck around uh, for no reason. It's it's a great it's meal. Weird. It's a full. It's, it's a garden. Ridiculous, man. It's a garden. Justin. Do you know? Do you know what a Chicago hot dog is, Justin? Uh, not really. It's awful. It? It's ridiculous. It is a so okay. Your normal hot dog, your average everyday hot dog, is you know you get your your hot dog, and then you've got ketchup, mustard, whatever you want. What? Dog, maybe some relish, some some mustard, some ketchup, whatever. Chicago hot dog. This is what's on it, Justin. Mustard, pick a uh, sweet green pickle relish, onion, tomato wedges, a Full dill pickle spear, sport peppers, and celery salt. The sport peppers are optional. Way too much sourness and spiciness. Thank you. It's it's weird. It's 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 just really strange. Throws me once again. Crab dip French fries. You put crab, crab dip, dip French fries are incredible. Don't so even... is a Chicago hot dog. I mean, at a point you have to ask, like, what? Where does it stop being a hot dog and start being something else entirely? <laughs> right, it's, it's a hot dog salad, salad which is like it's fine. Just... It's good. Man, oh, <laughs> we will get some so... more food. We will get some more food in a little bit. Um, stuff. Yes, but I, I do want to ask. Um, we haven't. We've we've talked actually probably more baseball on this pod than on many many of the other shaggy weird, we've right? Done, but um, do you have any non-baseball favorite sports or non-baseball favorite athletes? Um, good question. Um, 
you know what? I used to have a lot of favorites, but then now as I'm totally into baseball, I kind of lost track of a lot of the players. Um, but I did used to enjoy um, like competitive skiing and snowboarding oh, too. Wow. So like, huh. um, like Sean White, for example. He is the only snowboarder I could name ever. I could not name another snowboarder. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of Sean White yeah. comparisons as a you. As a I'm sure child. if you grew, oh, yeah. if you grew your hair out. Oh, like, when I was longer. in like fourth grade, man, and it was around that time too. It would have been like 2005. <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. Oh my god, I can only imagine. So, so, you, so you were keeping up with competitive skiing and snowboarding. That's interesting. I feel like most people don't keep up with that outside of like the Olympics. Yeah, because uh, I skied for a while. Not competitively, huh. but I was pretty into it. So, um, you know, I just started watching some of the games. And, um, yeah, and, you know, that happened mostly, like, in New Jersey. But uh, I've kind of lost track of them. So, I'm, you know, you guys kind of reminded me that that world still exists. So, I'm maybe I'm going to, you, you know, hop off the podcast yeah. and then uh, go search for some videos of there we talk go. That's what that's what we do at Shag and Flies. Talk to Scott you. Talk to Scott you, and we can get some fantasy like winter sports collective. Yeah, going. Scott. Oh, Scott right. Chew. Curling, right? Fantasy curling. Mm-hmm. Curling. Yeah. yeah, he's real big into curling. Yeah, curling yes. is awesome. It's it's almost as weird as baseball. It is. It is weird. Yeah, it is definitely really weird. As far as I like, I like that the whole like try to explain it to a person who has never seen anything before, who has no frame of reference. I think that's a good measure of like weirdness in that sense. Yeah, because I feel like you if know, you try we can to explain, explain basketballs, like, yeah, you basketballs put a ball the, and like you can get into the intricacies of like dribbling and the three second rules or whatever. But you, at the end of the day, put the ball in the hoop. Football, you carry the ball over the line, and baseball, yeah. it's you throw the ball, and then what happens? You hit the ball, and then what happens? Yeah, anything. Yeah. And like, and, <laughs> anyhow. Well, it's <laughs> like that's like weird. that's like the uh, um. Uh, there's a great, there's a classic George Carlin bit where he talks about the differences between football and baseball, and it's I strongly recommend looking it up. He did he did the bit on uh, the very the very first episode of Saturday Night Live ever actually, um. But he talks about how like you know in in football every stadium is regimented and it is uh you know it is a stadium, and every uh, the field is 10 yards. There's a different line and every stadium is the same. And in baseball, it's a park and it's a fun little park where that is at an ever widening angle that never stops. And every park is different and unique. And like just, just talks about it's, it's a great bit, but yeah, that's, you know, football, like you said, it's very like, you can explain it. You take the football, you want to get it over here. Baseball. It's like, Hey, when the bears wonky. played at Wrigley field back in the sixties, um, the end zones were shorter. Were they? I didn't know that. Fun fact. The more you know. Uh, so, do you have um, a favorite slash least favorite baseball movie? Hmm. You know, I don't watch a lot of baseball movies outside of Moneyball. So, Moneyball actually, the, the movie adaptation. And all those... Um, classics that float around on my Twitter feed. And I'm always like, you know, I want to join in the conversation, but I haven't seen these movies, so I don't know what's going on. Got to do it. Got to do it. Field of Dreams. I'll watch them. Field of Dreams, League of Their Own, Major League. Oh, I mean, I wrote a whole article about it if you want me to send it to you. 
I did yeah, my sure. my 15 favorite baseball movies of all time. Um, and and also uh, two that I really don't like and one that I really hate. Um, and my favorite of all time is Bull Durham. Uh, and it's because not only is it a really good baseball movie, but it's just a really well-made film in general. It's uh, it focuses a lot on you know the guys in the minors who don't quite make it beyond the minors. You know Kevin Costner's character in it, in it is you know this older guy who's just kind of languishing in AAA and just kind of sits there and is like this vehicle for mentoring uh the character played by tin robbins who is this flashy young pitcher who uh you know is this hot stuff who throws it really hard but is really wild and and it's it's a it's a lot about you know baseball but a lot of it's about a romance and it's 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 a brilliant really well-made movie a lot a whole lot of it is about like you know uh the, the kind of the masks we put on uh for other people and just it's it's a great film uh, but yeah, that one, yeah, Major League, League of Their Own, uh, all of the all of the baseball classic, Field of Dreams is really nice. Uh, it's it's kind of weird. You, you have to not think about it too hard. The plot, but it's it's really nice. Do you not like it? I don't no, remember. I'm not a. I'm not. I don't like Field of Dreams personally. <laughs> I I enjoy it. I think it's a very good. I think it's a solid movie. I don't think it's like the best baseball movie, but I I get why some people are attached to it. Um, but I've always said, I've said on this podcast a few times, the movie sugar is extremely un- uh, underrated last week. Yeah. Yeah. It's about a, uh, a, a guy, um, who is an international prospect and kind of, um, b- gets into the major leagues, but isn't quite good enough to make it to the majors. Um, you would like, you know what, Justin, you would really like the movie fastball. It's a documentary. Oh yeah, it's a good one. And it's a it's a really fun. It's a great movie for baseball nerds. It was controversial. It was pretty controversial among what baseball nerds too. Oh, just because they were like, "Is this bullshit or not?" We don't know. Like, oh yeah, yeah. So it's it came out what it's like five years like ago, sixteen or something. Yeah, I watched it on on a plane to L.A. in twenty seventeen. So that sounds about right. Yeah, they they talk a lot about like um, the physics of a fastball. And uh, one of the most interesting things they talk about is the way that we um, the way that we track speed, the speed of a fastball right now is uh, way different than the way we used to track it. So in reality, when, you know, we thought guys like Nolan Ryan were throwing like 90 uh, or were throwing like 100, uh, I think one of the things they say is if, if we measured Nolan Ryan's 100 mile an hour fastball today, it would actually be 108 miles an hour because of the way we measure it today is different than the way we measure it. it. They were measuring it, the radar guns, the early radar guns. And that's the other interesting thing about it is that you kind of have just a history of how we measured pitch speed and all the different right. devices they were used going all the way back to like, you know, the early, early parts of the 20th century when it was kind of like a novelty thing to see like, oh, how hard can we throw? But like the early radar guns that we had with Nolan Ryan, I think it was measuring the velocity like as it crossed home plate or something or 20 yeah. feet from home plate or something like that, rather than out of the hand or at the 50 foot mark. Um, which yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a fun, you should, yeah, watch, watch this movie. I'm you not would, sure what streaming really like services it. it's on, but you should definitely watch this. I can yeah. find out pretty quickly. Um, um, 
but so it's moving... it's really good. But yeah, anyways, yeah. I'll I'll send you my article. I would strongly recommend all of the movies that I have on. Yeah, there. yeah, I'll check it out for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, actually, um, I haven't seen any American baseball movies, but I do love this Korean baseball movie. Um, if oh. you're interested, I can describe it a bit. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear. It. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, called Perfect Game, I think, and. It's not actually about a perfect game, but it's about this duel in KBO history between these two legendary pitchers. Um, one is um, Dong Your Son, and the other is um, Dong Wan Choi. And it's basically what happens if you put up, let's say, I don't know, like Sandy Koufax and Nolan Ryan were head to head in a single game. Oh, wow. Basically, so like two legends of the game. And so it's a movie about where they went 13. 12 innings of scoreless shutout ball. Wow. And so, yeah, like they were just dueling for hours and hours and they refused to come out because the other, the other opponent was doing so well, you know, I can't just back down here. (laughs) And so it's probably one of the greatest games, um, pitching games, at least in probably baseball history, even. And so um, I'm not sure what the availability is in the States, but, you know, even though it's in Korean, I think it's it's a really, really good movie. Um, yeah, a lot I mean, of intensity. I'm, I'm looking I'm looking for it on like streaming stuff and I'm, I'm not finding it, but I'll have to I may have to search it by its uh, by its Korean name. Like, but get a, that get sounds a VPN, amazing. Yeah, get a VPN yeah. going the Korean um, or something, yeah. Also, uh, just so you know, Fastball is streaming. It's streaming on uh, Tubi, if you can deal with some ads. Um, mm. But uh, it's also streaming. Well, this would only work for uh, libraries in the U.S., but there's a great app, just PSA. There's a great app called Canopy, and Canopy uh, gives you a whole bunch of free movies, lots and lots of classics, like Criterion Collection classics. You can get it for free with a uh, library card. So... Just a PSA: If you're looking for to watch some classic movies, just get a library card online, and uh, Canopy will give you like it's like it's like thirty no, it's like fifteen free movies a month or something like that. And yeah, and it's like a bunch of foreign films that are difficult to find. You know, Criterion stuff, a lot of good stuff, and Fastball's on there too. But Tubi is available everywhere, so uh, you just have to deal with a few ads, but it's on there. Um, but anyways. Moving forward, <laughs> Zach. Yeah. So, um, ugh, baseball. Duh. No, um, <laughs> non-baseball question. If you could, actually, this could be a baseball question. We've had baseball-related answers to this. If you could sit down with anybody in the history of humanity and have a conversation with them, who would it be? Doesn't have to be like a like an actual named person. Can just be like someone living somewhere at a certain time i don't know good question um that's tough uh huh i'd say um it doesn't have to be a profound answer or anything honestly first thing that pops in your head if it's like if you think it's like a cliche boring answer i promise it's not whatever whatever pops in your head I don't know, like the first person to discover like music notes. I'd say like like the concept of the Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, huh. 
That's fascinating. The first person to kind of like figure out that you can kind of take sound pitch and organize it in a way that turns yeah, it into music. So much yeah. To, yeah, it's not um, to you know talk with that person necessarily, but more like kind of see how the discovery went and if there was like any elation when that discovery happened. You know, just I just kind of want to be like a bystander. And yeah, you know, not just that event, but also like I'd love to do like a, a Bill and Ted's, you know, adventure thing and just like, <laughs> you know, uh, stand by next to historic moments and this historic discoveries and just kind of like see what happened, you know, because I love the feeling of discovering something new. And I relate to when another person also feels that way and it makes me happy too. So that'd be very fun for me. That's awesome. That's a great answer. That's like the least it. cliche answer we could have possibly yeah. gotten. Yeah. yeah, I tried to be kind of original because I felt yeah. like yeah. there were a lot of uh, right. like you know like Gandhi or like mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Oh, I mean even those and those are good too. You know, because yeah. usually I will. I think for the majority, that's one where I usually if people want to take a sec to think about it, it's okay. But for a lot of these, it really does. It is like the first thing that comes to your head is usually the best answer because it comes to your head for a reason, right? Yep. Yep, exactly. I, and I will I will say a lot of these questions that we ask, the first thing that comes to your head is what we want. Like you don't have to think too That's hard the- on it. That's those are the best answers. Um next question we have for you is it's the one I'm always excited about. But we well, I would say we we often get more misses than hits on this question, but that's fine. That just makes we, the hits all that we, more exciting. Had, I don't think we've had a clear hit though, have we? I thought we no like an unambiguous yes. Uh no 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 uh Chelsea. Okay, yes, yes, okay. Right. okay All right, so anyways. Anyhow. <laughs> the question is, have you, Justin, ever seen a ghost or experienced something that you could not explain? Hmm. You know, a few times in my life I have heard weird noises that I swear I could not track the source of it yeah can you think yeah, of any of those this, times you know, in particular where like neighbors upstairs were banging on the floor or something it was, it was something very eerie and entirely different um so that's happened a few times so maybe that's the the um the supernatural the extraterrestrial yeah. lurking outside you know you could be know. Yeah, yeah. It can even also yeah, be like I've had uh, a friend of mine told me. Well, this is the same friend I always mention. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's the only friend I have. Uh, no, he's not. But he always ends up coming up on this podcast. My friend Alex. He told me about a time that he and his brother visited this this place in Bangladesh. Is it no? I'm not Bangladesh. Budapest. I'm sorry. I <laughs> got them mixed up. Budapest. Uh, where it used to be, and I'm butchering the story, but he it was essentially a, a building that used to be like a prison for, um, I want to say it was like enemies of the government or something like that, but basically like some bad stuff had gone down in that building. And he told me like he and his brother walked in there and both of them looked at each other and they're like, no, we got to get out of here. Like they just like, I just feel something like just a bad energy. And like, I just, we got to leave right now. Like, this is bad. <laughs> like they were in like a torture room. They're like, nope, 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 nope. Got to go. 
So even that, I feel like that sometimes people have those kinds of experiences. You're like, something's weird and I don't know what it is, but it's something. But even, yeah, weird sounds, that works. Hey, that's better than the straight nose that we've gotten, which we've gotten <laughs> plenty of those. Uh, yeah. Anyways. You know, it could be that they don't remember what happened. What? It could be that they don't remember what happened, right? Could be. But yeah. Yeah. someone erase those memories, right? There because you go. There the you ghosts go. don't want you to remember that you heard them or saw them. Right? This is so, the kind of thinking so I like to hear. Like, yeah. That's so that what it is. Like, like analytical thinking, right? We've all been neuralized. <laughs> Exactly. exactly so uh keeping along the lines of not even the supernatural but the um i guess yes the supernatural kind of if you had a superpower what would you pick slash what would it be hmm. um you know it's because i'm lazy i guess but i just want to just teleport somewhere wherever i want <laughs> teleportation it does sound super convenient and <laughs> yeah and i would that happens, it. You know, like moving around becomes becomes fun, you know. It's like a hobby now, right? <laughs> and that might make exercising more enjoyable for me. Um, I mean, like every good science fiction and fantasy movie, TV show, book, whatever, damn near ever written is like predicated on basically the ability to um, transport from one place to the other instantaneously. Oh, yeah. So that's really yeah, that that's building the foundation. Yeah. You know, that's building the foundation. Absolutely. Um, all right, I would like to ask one more question before we get to our final section of the podcast, the full count. And the question I want to ask, uh, tell me about a time in which you laughed really, really hard. It could be the hardest you've ever laughed. It could be just a recent time where you're just, you know, tears are rolling down your face. You're laughing so hard for whatever reason. Somebody fell down. Somebody farted, whatever. You're in a situation, you're at a funeral and you thought of something really funny and you're not supposed to be laughing, whatever it might be. Tell me, and then it does not have to be a good story. In fact, they often aren't, and that's totally fine. I want to hear it. So tell me about a time in which you laughed super hard. So recently, I've been watching some Hell's Kitchen on Netflix. Nice. Great watch. Great watch. Super fun. Yeah, And so, you know, after I watch a show, one thing I do is I go on YouTube and search for like compilations or like past clips of a certain season or the, even the entire series. And it wasn't actually my first time watching it, but um, there's the, the moment where Gordon Ramsay yells at someone for using a nonstick pan. Yeah. And that moment is legendary because while he's screaming at at the woman, the poor woman, like his voice cracks when he says like nonstick. Like the voice kind of goes, yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. it cracks mid sentence, and so like that was just hilarious to me for some reason. I guess it's because <laughs> that was after watching like, hours of Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, and so um, you see him be really serious and mature for for hours and then suddenly his voice cracks like he's going through puberty <laughs> also he's really mad at the same time he's he's furious he's yeah yeah, yeah. completely enraged and then that happened so yeah that, that was just that was that killed me why in the world is using a non-stick pan bad i have no idea i'm sure it's bad i'm sure he's right i'm not not 
I'm not going to question Gordon Ramsay. Stand in He's front a of a mirror scorer. and say that three times, and Gordon Ramsay will come. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure he's 100 percent correct. I just don't know why. Uh, who knows? That's a good one. But good anyways, one. So, let's on to the uh, yeah. We're going to pivot to the counts. final section of this podcast. This is a section we call the full count. We are going to ask you for a recommendation in each of five categories. Again. They can be obvious ones. It does not have to be something super original or super like unique or obscure. Whatever you want, first thing that pops in your head, that's what we want. And the first category is books. What is a book that you would recommend? Hmm. Um, actually, I have this right now next to me. I'll go. I'll go. Get Perfect. It. Please um, do. Let's see. Uh, Persepolis. Persepolis. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's an amazing choice. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Fantastic, heartbreaking, but also very poignant uh, graphic novel. Um, I read it, I read it when first when I was in ninth grade as actually part of my summer homework, and I didn't expect anything out of it, but um, it really struck a chord emotionally with me, and I recommend it for anyone, like anyone who not only enjoys graphic novels, but also just enjoys um, a good portrait of life itself and, and, and all its pains mm. and struggles and strifes and how an individual grows as a person. Um, it's really fantastic. Yeah. I have never heard of it. I will add it to my reading list right now because that sounds, yeah. I love graphic novels and that sounds super interesting, but yeah, that's a great recommendation. Echoed, totally echoed. So, um, recommendation number two is food. Uh, this can be like meal, ingredient, restaurant, establishment, genre, anything. Hmm. Um, it's a bit cliched as a Korean for me, but if you haven't tried it yet, um, make sure you try kimchi. I have heard. Didn't somebody else recommend that? No, Sungmin specifically said he wasn't going to recommend. That. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I've I've um, never had it. I've never had it. I I don't even know if there's any like good Korean places near me. Um, but it sounds good. People say it's great, <laughs> so I believe them. No, yeah, I'm not a. Like I don't, other I don't like foods. cabbage. Just the thing. Like oh yeah. Oh. Yeah, that um, that's not but... a problem with kimchi. A problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I guess, kimchi. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like a positive is that a lot of Korean foods they get kind of butchered because they pass through like you know American hands. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> we tend to do that. Yeah. But kimchi, even if you screw it up, it still tastes good. You know, it's just cabbage, um, salted, fermented, and spiced up. So. You know, if you like sauerkraut, you probably like it. Oh, I hate yeah. sauerkraut. I, I really, okay. really hate sauerkraut. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Like a lot. Like I hate sauerkraut a lot, a lot. So <laughs> I tried it once because I was like, I'd like to enjoy this. And it was. Well, you got to try kimchi. Well, one of us will try. Repulsive. I'm trying to make a point. I want to try, like try. Every, every, I'm trying to try like every recommendation. People well, ever, use. ever will... since. Ever since uh, Mofongo opened up your world, I would imagine. Mofongo was, was a huge success. So maybe I don't think I like cabbage, but maybe kimchi will will change my, my tune there. I don't know. 
I hope so. Yeah, Let me know. And you know what? If I find a place that does good kimchi, I'm I'm gonna try it. I want to try it. But uh, if it's like sauerkraut, I don't know if I'm gonna <laughs> like it. Uh, we'll see. But anyways, next category, next uh, recommendation. What would you recommend for the category of movies and or TV? Hmm. Uh, it's a classic, but. People haven't seen it still, but Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Ah, so great. All the Monty Python movies. All of them are excellent. I fart in your general direction. (laughs) You know, it's so funny. Like it, so many, it gets quoted so much, but man, that movie is just so funny. It holds up. It really does hold up. It really does. In a way that few comedies do. It really like, does. Isn't and, based on any like political event or like culture specific thing to the seventies, but it's just like absurdist humor at its finest. It's a five hundred so year old story. Yeah. It's King Arthur, you know? Yep. Oh, and the yeah. musical version Spam a Lot is fantastic as well. I got I to see that. that. It's the only show I ever saw on Broadway, hmm. um, and it was brilliant. It was so good. But that's a great recommendation. Monty Python, the Holy Grail, love it. Uh, recommendation. Number four, then, is music. Okay, this is my, this might be controversial, but um, Voice Notes by Charlie Puth. I am I'm sort of familiar with Charlie Puth, but only like just what I've heard, you know, in the pop music realm, like just a few singles. Never listened to a full album of his, but I'll have to give it a listen. Yeah, and what's great about <laughs> him is that so what's great about it is that um, Charlie Puth is essentially a jazz musician making pop music. And what's great about it, that is, you know, obviously there's more complexity to it, but also he's self-aware that he's making pop music. So he has a lot of fun with it. He doesn't pretend that it's something, you know, very meaningful or, um, you know, something too serious. He just, he just writes really good pop songs. Um, and so, you know, I feel like sometimes pop albums, they try to become, you know, overly dramatic in a sense. And that kind of ruins, um, you know, like the quality of the album itself. But Charlie Puth is very just unapologetic about having fun in his album. So um, that's what makes it great. And so even though Charlie Puth might not seem like a, a great musician, I recommend that you try out. No, I mean, that's second album. Voice notes. That's that's the whole fun of pop. That's what makes Carly Rae Jepsen fun. Is exactly. it's very yeah. just simple fun pop music. That's all. Um, yeah, it's I'll have to give that a listen. Um, like the Chainsmokers are such a guilty pleasure of mine. <laughs> it's so simple, formulaic, and but it like it's an ear. They, they make earworms. Yeah, they do it well. Yeah. So. Oh, like, I mean, yeah, my well my, my guilty pleasure is I know like every word to every Air Supply song, and I love Air Supply. I love Air Supply talk about generic like formulaic music <laughs> they've got like eight songs with like the word love in it it's like it's it's literally like it's like all out of love lost in love making love out of nothing at all the one that you love it's a lot it's like the chili peppers in california <laughs> right exactly um all right the final category uh is miscellaneous this can be anything from your life that you would recommend to somebody else a practice that you do regularly 
a gadget that you own, a thing that you have done, a place that you've gone, a person that you know, whatever. Hmm. And I've always found, again, the first thing that pops in your head is the best one, no matter how weird or dumb it might sound. You know, this goes for people who are listening, who are aspiring baseball writers. I just say, make it a habit to read old articles of, of other people. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Because as much as, as much as it is important to write about baseball, it's also important to read so you get an inspiration and a sense of how you should approach a certain analysis. So, um, you know, I'm guilty of ripping off like Jeff Sullivan a lot of times in my writing because <laughs> he's like the godfather of modern um, baseball writing. So, um, yeah. And I think at, at first it's okay to kind of um, copy what other people are doing as long as you later develop your own style. Well, I th yeah, I think that's what everybody does at first. I mean, no matter what, if you're doing music, if you're doing comedy, if you're doing writing, you when you first get into it, you're just you're copying your your idols. You're copying the people you you love. I you know, when I first started doing fantasy baseball writing, I was just I was just doing Tristan Cockroft. Like that's all I was doing. <laughs> I was just imitating him. Because he was like one of the first, one of the first people I that I listened to for fantasy baseball advice, and one of the first uh, writers that I really connected with, and so I was just like, you know, just doing him. But then over time, you take all of your influences, and and Eno, Eno was the other one. It's like some combination of Eno and Tristan. That was what I was doing, and you take all of those influences and you kind of like shake them up and out comes your voice and i think that's yeah i think it's important i think that is a good thing to know that it is okay if you're imitating people because everybody was at some point imitating somebody even the greats were imitating someone before them so that's yeah and that is something not reading enough other baseball stuff that's something i'm guilty of like i i need to read more articles i just you know we write about it so much and all that that half the time i'm like i don't feel like reading it <laughs> yeah and with but, baseball mm -hmm. you know yeah do something else yeah so yeah i get that yeah but nope that's a great recommendation that's a great one. but that's all a great, one. great recommendations across the board uh you feel feel good feel good we get everything everything that you want to talk about is there anything we didn't talk about that you would like to talk about it doesn't matter to me you can talk about anything uh i don't know um <laughs> hey I if guess, you if uh, you feel good i feel good yeah i, I think i'm fine good um, it might come That's... back to me like six hours later what i want to talk about <laughs> then then it sounds like we need to have you on for uh part two. Oh yeah which would be great i can't wait till i can't wait till we start making the rounds again on folks yeah that'll be, be so fun. fun but mm -hmm. um anyways justin I would like to thank you for being here on the podcast. We are like just about at two hours, which, you know, is crazy. It didn't feel like two hours to me. It never does. Uh, but thank you very much for joining us on Shag and Flies. You were, you were wonderful to talk to, and it's been a blast getting to know you and, and to chat with you. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks yeah, for joining us, my dude. Amateur. 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 Yeah, oh yeah, yeah.